0: Hi, right. you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. The uh, Word of God comes from Book of Luke, Chapter 15, Verse 11 through 24, and it's from NIV Translation. Prodigal Son, please follow with me. Amen.
1: Let me start by asking you a question. How many of you guys remember homecoming? Anybody? Who, who went to homecoming when you are in high school? Some of you remember, some of you would like to forget, right? Homecoming, when you think about that word... Homecoming usually is associated with a dance or maybe with a football game. But do you know what the heart of the homecoming occasion really is? It's a chance for the school to call home to their alma mater all its scattered sons and daughters. You know, a school trains you for four years, they equip you for life, they send you all out into the world, bearing their name in your record, your history. And the hope is, as you go all over the world, you will spread a good name, a good reputation for that school. You notice how some people have a freakish, inordinate amount of pride about their alma mater? You know, certain schools breed this more than others. I'm thinking of, I don't know, like, just random thoughts, schools like Michigan. I can't think of any other ones, actually, but, you know, school, certain schools breed an almost fanatical, psychological illness level of alumni pride. And I think that's really cool. And, and and homecoming is an occasion in which that school says all our, if you've ever gone to U of I and seen that statue by Altgeld Hall, that the alma mater, and it says, gathering up all the scattered children back home once in a while to say, what have you done with your lives? How is it going with you? And that's something powerful. There will always be a powerful draw in the human heart to go home. It really doesn't matter how old you are, how far you go in this life. Every now and then, I mean, you could be living the high life as a young, sexy, single person in Paris, and you're wealthy beyond imagination, flying around in your private jet. And one day around Thanksgiving or or Easter or Christmas, something will just seize your heart. You go, man, I want to see mommy and daddy and I just want to go home. You have come so far from your roots, but there's something powerful in the human heart that wants to go home and be connected to where we came from. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? Some of you might be feeling that very, very strongly, even as I say these words. You know what I'm talking about? That the one thing you've been longing for is a place called home. Well, this very familiar story that, that Chris just read for us, It's a story of homecoming. It's about a person who really needed home again and found that he could come back. Now, the parable is really one of the greatest stories ever told. And, you know, it's funny because I was going to mention it in my sermon, but as I walked into the church and sat down at the table where I usually review my notes, I saw three DVDs stacked up. They were Gladiator Matrix and The Passion of the Christ. Three films that belong in the library of any self respecting Christian, right? Now, listen. The funny thing about those three movies, well, minus The Passion of the Christ, which is hard to watch over and over. Everybody owns the gladiator and everybody owns the matrix. And it's funny when you buy a DVD because it signals your intent to watch it more than once, even though you know the story already. I mean, some of you watch certain movies so often you can actually follow the lines. It's freakish, kind of scary. Like you're muttering along with the actors because you know the movie backwards and forwards. If you already know how it ends, if you know every line before it's spoken, why do you watch it again and again? Because there's something beyond the newness of the story, something powerful and drawing about the story itself that brings you in every single time. And I think this is one of those stories that every Christian should never grow tired of hearing because it is our great story. It's the greatest story there is. In fact, there really is no other story in Scripture but this one. It summarizes everything because the story of human history and of the whole Bible is of a longing father's heart to bring back all his lost children safely home. That's what the gospel is. It's not an invitation to march in lockstep with a new army of religious people. It is an, a homecoming invitation. And that's why this story never grows old for us. You know, if you're keeping track of things, I don't know if you are or not, but last year on Father's Day, I preached out of this very text. If you compare the CDs, you'll find that it almost sounds like a totally different sermon. But this text is so rich, I could preach from it every single year. And our hearts would still be drawn out because this is such a wonderful story. Now, because it's so familiar to you, I'm not going to belabor the details of the story because just like The Matrix or Gladiator or whatever else, you could probably finish the story for me. Instead, this morning, I'd like to make a few important insights and share them with you. And then I want to make an invitation. Is that a deal? So let's, let's look into the story a little bit together. One of the first things I notice about this story is that it opens with a scene that just makes us angry. Now think about this. We, in 2008, still read the story with all our modern sensibilities and we still have the sense of how inappropriate and wrong this opening scene is. Here comes a son And not just a son, but the younger of two sons. Pretty audacious. I don't know what it is about younger sons, but they never have the same good sense as the oldest son. Praise God. This young son, this punk, comes up to his dad and says, You know, Dad, I've been thinking, I like money, and I don't care that much for you and your household. How about this? Let's pretend you died already, and give me the money. And I'll just kind of get it and be out of your hair, and everybody wins. What do you say? Now, even we today in 2008 are bothered by that. Do you realize that the original audience of Jesus would have entered into apoplectic shock? They would have heard that and just went, somebody catch me. I can't believe how offensive this was, what this kid just said. What amazes us even more, though, is the father agrees. The father looks right at this young son and says, is that really what you want? Yeah, dad, that's really what I want. And the Father, to our amazement, says, then you can have it. You know what I see in that as the story opens up? I see that God is a God who is a father and not a warden. This home that this young man was living was not a prison. It was a household. And the front gate is not bolted from the outside. He is absolutely free. To come or to go. Another way of looking at it is every one of us, like this young son, is totally free under the authority of our God to stay or to stray. Do you see that? And the amazing thing is, he asked for his freedom and his father said, What's keeping you here? If that's what you really want, you are always welcome to walk outside that door. I have not changed you to this place. And here's the thing. No matter how rigorously your parents brought you up in the church, how authoritarian they were, the truth is that God himself has never changed you to himself. We don't have a God who is some kind of simpering, insecure father figure who, who holds his children close by force because he knows that, that love and loyalty are meaningless unless there is real freedom. If you are not free, then your love means nothing. Nothing. Your loyalty means nothing. I mean, believe me, I don't keep I don't keep Jeannie chained to the house during the day. She is free, just like I am, just like you are. And the front door to the God's household has always been unlocked. The question is not whether you're free to leave or stay, but how you will use that freedom. And this young man, he used his freedom to escape, to stray from the father who loved him. And here's another interesting thing that I see. No sooner does he get this freedom, this, this authority to leave, than he tries to get as far away from his father as possible. I mean, why didn't he just move next door? He knows the neighborhood, he knows where all the stores are, the best wells, the best camel watering holes. This is familiar country. Why would you run off to a faraway land? Well, I think a couple of reasons. There's something about the heart of young men and women that just wants to strike out. I bet you half the people in this room have daydreamed in the last month about just packing up and going to California or Scotland or some crazy place and starting a new life. There is something about youth that makes us think that real life, real freedom, real adventure is always in the next place, the next relationship, the next town, the next job. Always around the corner is where my life will begin. And that's why you see some people who have never planted their tent stakes anywhere. They cannot stay in a relationship. They can't stay in a job or a church or anything because they're somehow so restless in their hearts, they think, always I have to go somewhere else to feel alive. Some people have speculated, maybe the reason this young man was so anxious to leave was because the father was such a bad guy. He was abusive. Overly restrictive and controlling, who wouldn't want to bolt the first chance you get? Now, The reason that that a lot of people feel that way is because many of us may have grown up in homes where that perfectly describes our parents. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's a pretty good chance, as I'm looking at this room that at least half or more of you lived in households where no matter how old you got, you had to be home by a certain hour. There was just so much meddling, so much controlling in your life, and you could not wait. When you left your home, you weren't leaving, you were fleeing. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? You you daydream for years about that day where you go, I'm leaving, you can even keep this key, I won't need it anymore, because I'm never coming back. Now, when you fast forward to the end of the story, everything in this father's behavior indicates to us that the reason this son left is not because the father was such a terrible guy. The father was a much better man than the son. And here's why I'm saying that to you. Some of us, at some point in our lives, maybe even today, have run very far from God. Like this young son, we believe that the best place for our lives to be carried out was as far from under the authority of this God as we could get. Maybe you hated the church you were raised in. You saw hypocrisy everywhere. It was so painfully boring that you had to drink coffee constantly before church just to stay awake. You hated the whole scene and you thought, As soon as I'm able, I am leaving this oppressive religious system to try life on my terms. And maybe you did run away from God thinking it was a matter of survival, of absolute freedom for you. But whatever your motivations were for running away, I can tell you this. You can never defend this, this idea that you ran away because God himself was such a terrible God. I have defied people who've made that claim to show me the proof that what they were really running from was a God who was intolerably cruel. Overly restrictive, such a bad father, who wouldn't want to leave his household? God is not like that. I have found no evidence to support he will ever be like that. Scripture again and again, my life experience again and again prove that when we run, it is without provocation. That story of running without being provoked is as old as the Garden of Eden and the very first man and woman. They had every reason to stay and be joyfully connected to God. They had absolutely no reason to do what they did. They weren't saying to God, well, we had to eat that apple because you have filled this garden with such annoyingly beautiful and delicious food. And you've made us so comfortable and happy. And it just, it was ridiculous. We had to eat that fruit. There was nothing that provoked them to rebel against God. And yet they did it. And they may have done it under the guise that they were running away from God, but the truth is they were running towards something else altogether. That's our life story, most of us. We're not running away from God, but running toward this false illusion that our lives are freest and happiest and best when we become the highest authority for that life. Some of you have grown up in the church, and you know it. And this is not me accusing you. This is me reminding you to look in the mirror. You know that for all of your church going, you have never fully trusted God or really believed that His authority was a good thing for you. You may have made nice with everyone else, but somewhere deep down inside, you refuse to let go of control over your life. And just like this young prodigal son, your life's guiding light is that you are always in best hands whenever you are in your own hands. Now, I know you think that makes a lot of sense. And I know you think the great experiment of your life has proven you're right and the Bible is wrong. But a day will come when you realize, I guarantee you this, that you couldn't have been more wrong. This young man... Proved the age-old human experiment. Am I better off away from God or with Him? And he left his father's household, and he decided to try taking care of himself. And what he proved was that he could not do it. He couldn't do it. Maybe some of you, like this young man, are living in a far country. I think that's such an interesting phrase, far country. They They won't even tell you where it was. They just define it as how far away... From home, this young man had gone. Is that your story this morning? Are you right now as I speak these words in a far country, trying hard to get away from the authority of God? You know why we do that? Because we actually think that the Father's authority is a curse and a prison. You know, the amazing thing is In his father's house, he was always free and always cared for. It was only when he went out to take care of himself that he was unable to do it. And what he realized was that his father's authority never was a prison. That front gate was always unlocked. But it was meant to secure his freedom, to keep him free and healthy. He was not better off when he left. And you know, when he left, he openly expressed his real self, didn't he? It says, but while he might have been a very good boy living in a home, as soon as he got the money, he went to that far country and what did he do? He squandered it on wild living and prostitutes and whatever else you can imagine. I'm sure he bought everything there was to buy that he was repressed from doing at home. He thought, if only I could do the opposite of everything my dad allowed me, I will be truly happy. He expressed himself and what he saw coming out led to his own Destruction. So he's left, like many of us have been, with the question, who are you going to call? You know, there's this humbling, shattering moment when you realize that you had made this stru- strong statement, a stand, I can do better by myself, and then you realize you can't. Have you guys ever b- put yourself in a situation where you boasted verbally about something, and then finally when the moment of truth came, you completely screwed up? I can think of some examples in my own life right now. I can think of some examples in your lives right now that are playing like a clear highlight reel in my mind. All this chest thumping, all this yes I can, and then you get a chance and you're like, no, you can't. And it's so humiliating having said so much, having talked such a good game, to be publicly seen as a failure. He utterly failed himself. He couldn't do better than his father had done all those years. And penniless and desperate, in verse 14 it says, hauntingly, he began to be in need. What does that mean? That means the things he always took for granted, things that had always been provided, had suddenly run out. And there he was, looking around saying, this is a new experience for me. It's a new experience. I have needs. And they're not being met. How do you know you have needs? You only know that when you can't meet them anymore, right? You know how you know you need oxygen? When someone puts a big plastic bag over your head and you're like... Every day you breathe constantly, thousands of times a day, and you never think, I need oxygen, I need oxygen. It just happens. You know a need when it's cut off. And that's an amazing thing, because it's only when he strikes out on his own that he begins to have deep needs that for the first time in his life, simply cannot be met. He has run out of resources to take care of his own life. Desperate, he turns to a wealthy citizen in that land, and he throws himself at his mercy. And you know why he does that? I think this is the reasoning in so many desperate people's hearts. They look around and say, look at me, I'm so pitiful. I got nothing. And look at all these people around. They have everything that I don't. Maybe, if I go to one of them, doesn't it stand to reason that somebody who has so much would give generously to somebody like me, who has so little? And I understand how that works. I mean, look, I remember... When I needed some money to get back on the uh, the little ferry train, I had left without enough cash, and I was on my internship in Tijuana, Mexico. I'd gone over into La Jolla, California. I was walking around this very ritzy shopping center, and I realized, oh, man, I am broke. I need a couple bucks to to take that trolley back to San Isidoro and walk across the border. And I suddenly realized how strange I looked because I was all kind of disheveled and really dirty. It wasn't even suntan. It was dirt all over me. And here I'm coming up to these nice dressed people and going, listen, can you spare her a couple bucks? I was that guy that I'm always like, oh, get away from me. You're making me nervous. What do you want? I was that guy. And seeing the look in these people's eyes, it was hilarious. And all I needed was two lousy dollars. Is that so much to ask if you've ever been to La Jolla? These people sneeze and two dollars comes out of their nose. (laughs) Oh, man. They are so wealthy, and I just thought to myself, even if they are a little nervous, couldn't they throw two bucks at me like, like a weapon and run away? I mean, they have so much. And that reasoning is logical. When you have so much, shouldn't you give to someone who has so little? But every time we trust in the goodness of other people, it won't be long before we find that this world greatly disappoints us. It's not to say that there are no good people out there. But every time we run away from the provision and loving care of God, our Father, and we strike out on our own, if the only road back to redemption for you is to trust in the goodness of man, you will be greatly, greatly disappointed and brokenhearted. Because the truth is that the famine has struck everyone. And maybe that guy has a little more than you, but he's just another guy trying to make it. He doesn't have time to make your life's problems his life's problems. And yet the desperateness of our hearts are latching on to anyone who will listen, who will help, who will give me something. Please help me. I have nothing. You have everything. Just give me a little, and maybe they'll throw you a bone. I did get back, by the way. That's why I'm here. Somebody gave me a couple bucks. But maybe after the couple bucks, they didn't invite me into their house for the night. They didn't offer me their shower. They didn't send me to graduate school. They gave me two bucks and said, please don't bother me anymore get away from me and my children, you dirty street person. Me, the dirty street. It was so so eye-opening. I've tried to turn to people and what I've discovered is that there's nobody in the world who will love you as much as God. If you reject the love of God, there's no lonelier place for you to find yourself. This young man turning to people who have no idea who he is. They don't care if he lives or dies. He has journeyed to a far country. What do these people care about him? They don't know his father or his family or even his name or language. And this rich man, and the, the, the citizen of the far country, he exploited him. He used him for a job no one would want to do. And he, though he was working, he was still starving. And look what it says at the end there of that, that passage, verse 16. No one... Gave him anything. He had a longing and no one gave him anything. Did you ever feel like that? Thing is, what he needed was more than anyone but God could supply. You know, there are some people who find that they look back into their past and they've burned their bridges. They feel like they can't go home. They don't even know where they came from anymore. And they look at their future and there's no place to go. And that person is the loneliest person in the world. Because they've got no past to run to. They've got no future to run to. And where they are is unbearable. That person is homeless in the most fundamental sense of the word. And there are people in our lives right now, maybe in this very room, who are in that exact place spiritually. You're homeless as homeless gets. Well, in the midst of his misery, it says in verse 17 a very interesting thing. And on this one, I think that this translation is the best. It says, he came to himself. Some of them say he came to his senses, like somebody put smelling salts or ammonia under his... You know, like he suddenly somebody slapped him in the face. It wasn't that at all. I think this was a very gradual but very powerful process in which in the midst of his misery, turning over in his mind again and again the unfolding terrible story of his life, something dawned on him. And when it says he came to himself, what it is is he remembered who he really was. He remembered where he belonged and he realized at the same moment that where he was was not where he was supposed to be. That's the beginning of homecoming for most people is that they realize I don't live here. This isn't where I belong. Do you know how many people I see pack their bags and run off to California? See you later, suckers. Five years later, they come back to Chicago. It was lonely. I don't mind making fun of you. I'm so happy you're back. I knew you'd be back. I knew. Because home is home. There comes a moment. And don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you can't leave us. You can go if you need to. Check it out. There's a moment when you're in a place and sometimes you just realize I'm not supposed to be here right now. This isn't who I am. It's who I try to make myself, but this isn't me. And where I am has nothing to do with what matters most to me. You have to realize you're far from home before you can come home. Amen? Some people, just sheer pride, they fight me tooth and nail when I try to show them, look, you are so far from home. They're like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. like, fine, go off and be miserable. You seem to really like it. But until you can admit that you are far from home, there will not be a homecoming in your life. Some of you, just by habit, defend yourself anytime anyone says anything to you. You think that the, the world is all about fighting people. What you don't realize is that God sends some people into your life to say things you don't like to hear because He loves you and because He wants to bring you home. I don't know why you like fighting so much. I, I don't like fighting. I'm good at it, but I don't like it. Why do you want to stay so far from home? And this young man suddenly was seized with a longing for his true home. And what he realized was, I would rather be a slave in my dad's house than out here on my own in this place that I don't belong. You know, the ancient Israelites had a song that captured this spirit of homesickness so beautifully, and it's recorded for us in the 84th Psalm. Can I read it for you? Listen, Just listen to these words of this song that the Israelites sang when they were far from home and wanted to come back. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Skipping ahead a few verses, listen to this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. It's an amazing song. And that captures the heart of the person who finally realizes that where I am is not home, but I want to go there. And just like the prodigal son, Saying, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the household of God than to dwell in comfort in the tents of the wicked far from home. So he goes home. He makes a decision. Now how many of you have ever been in love and fought with a person you love? <laughs> Don't even bother raising your hand. The first question answers the second. If you've ever been in love, you fought with that person, okay? Listen to me. There is a powerful, pivotal moment when you're in love and you fought. Some of you guys fought this morning. I, I, I'm sensing that in the room right now. And there's this moment where one of you, I, I don't care how many nasty words were exchanged, how many vile things were thought and said and felt and done. I know this though about people. When it's all said and done, what you really long for in your heart is peace and reconciliation. You love that person. That's why you're so passionate in your anger. And no matter how much you said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, you love them. And what you want most desperately in your heart is to make peace and be together again. But pride gets in the way. You're like, I ain't going to be the first one. No way. They need to come crawling back to me. But eventually, one of you, and hear me clearly, the more mature, the more godly one of you, There's no other way to say it. The more mature, the more godly one of you makes the first move. And sometimes it's the guy, because guys are too lazy to keep fighting. Like, this stinks, I can't watch TV freely. So they say, and here's what guys do. Like idiots, we buy flowers because, you know, flowers. eh? I think these are supposed to work. Wave them like a talisman in front of the girl. And then you do this thing. She's sitting there like this on the couch, and you walk up and you put your hand on her shoulder. <sighs> and that's a very powerful moment because you're not sure what's going to happen. She has two options, doesn't she? She can go, <clears throat> whatever, just brush your hand away. <clears throat> you think it's going to be that easy? A couple flowers of a hand and the shoulder, get away from me. She could do that to you, or she could do this. <sighs> and she holds that hand and she goes... <sighs> I don't like fighting. I don't know why I say those things. And what do you do? You make up. And that is such a powerful moment because the feelings are still there. The residue is still there. But that one touch, that one simple gesture floods your heart with hope. Especially when you're the one who's done wrong and you're trying to reconcile. That one hand that just grabs yours, it's hope. It's hope that even though there's a lot of hard work ahead of us, I can come home again. I can really come home. I've got a chance with you. And you are never more at another person's mercy than when you're trying to reconcile in that kind of situation. That person can do whatever they want and you're praying that they will love you and hold that hand. See, this young man made a decision to go home, but all he's doing is putting his hand on his daddy's shoulder. He has no idea how his father is going to respond. But in faith, in this instinctive sense that home is still better under any circumstances than what I've got out here, he starts heading back. And he's rehearsing and muttering to himself the perfect line to get back in the front door. And maybe that's where your heart is right now. Maybe you're one of those people who is so far from God, and the reason you can't even come home is you're thinking to yourself, oh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've looked at and what I've said and thought I am so dirty that no God worth anything would want me. I am used goods. I am damaged property. I am so far gone from religion. There's no way for me to pretend I can start over. This leaf can't be turned over because it's been burned already. Some people feel that way. And what they're projecting onto God is the way that they treat others who do wrong against them. They think, I'd never forgive me. So there's no way God would forgive me. That's why this young man was rehearsing lines he had no idea the kind of man his father really was and today having been softened in our culture it's not surprising to see a daddy run but in ancient israel it would have made everyone in the audience faint to think that this wretched son who had stabbed his father in the heart could come crawling back in humiliation, and the father, instead of waiting by the gate with rotten tomatoes, I knew you'd be back, you little punk. Instead of doing that, this father hikes up his outer garment, cinches it up in a belt, and runs like an athlete to meet his son. Do you realize what a remarkable scene that is? Some of us wonder, if I run to God in forgiveness and repentance, will he even have me back? Do you have any idea what I've done while I was far from God? You think God doesn't know where you were? You think it's some mystery to him what you've looked at and what you've done? How dirty your hands are? He knows. That's the amazing thing. He knows and still he invites you home. And the great thing about this God of ours is that you don't even have to get to the door to find out whether it will open or not. You know what Revelation tells us? He stands at our door and knocks. This son didn't even make it home. His father was on the parapets of the household, scanning the horizon. You know, when we run far from God, we obsess over our own side of the story. I'm so bad, I'm so far away, I'm so lost, I'm so irreligious. But what we forget is that God has a perspective too. And on God's side of the story, it is the heart of a father whose child has wandered out the front door and has been lost. And that father's heart has no peace until the father sees that child safely home. I shared with you last Father's Day that I've got little kids. And I can't imagine the anguish if I lost one of them. The other night, I had this strange dream, and I think God was preparing me for this sermon. I had this dream that I was riding a skateboard, and Zoe was on a little big wheel, and we were going, we we're jetting through this little suburban neighborhood. And I turned the corner; she was just ahead of me, out of my sight for a second. And I turned the corner; I saw a couple two people who looked like street people with blankets, dirty blankets hunched over them, and they were shooing her away trying to kidnap her. And I yelled, Leave my daughter alone! And I woke up shaking, thinking, I just caught it in time. If I had been ten seconds later turning that corner, she'd be gone forever. It only takes a moment. And I had such a strong reaction to that dream because it was so real how quickly my joy turned to horror And sadness. That's the heart of God. He's not stewing at home, swearing about you under his breath. He is waiting for you to come back. And there is no mystery, absolutely no doubt, what kind of reception you will receive when you come home. If this story teaches us anything, it is that every single time a lost child comes home, there is joy in the house. God is not vindictive. He is a father. And what would any father do? What would any father do? Are you far? I'm not saying you've killed people and kicked babies and things like that. But you know. There's no way for me to know. Well, maybe a few ways, but... I can only guess, where are you right now? I want to give an invitation to two different groups of people this morning. The first group are people who would say of themselves, I'm a Christian, but the way I'm living now, you can hardly tell. It's been so long since I really, really walked with God and felt like I lived at home with him. I come to this building every week. I show my face. I smile at the people. I even carry a Bible around with me. The truth is, deep down in my heart, I have journeyed to a far country. You don't get much farther from home than I am right now. If that's you, well, you know, Easter is supposed to be a homecoming. That's what it's supposed to be. We are not celebrating that a dead man rose from death. but We're celebrating what that did for our lives because God is loving. If you're far, Easter is supposed to be homecoming day for you. It's an amnesty day where I, as God's servant, declare to you without apology or hesitation, that everything in the past is past the only thing on god's heart for you right now is that he wants to see you back home that's all he cares about you could tell him about the things you saw and you can make amends later but right now there's only one thing on this father's heart come home just as you are some of you you have never been a christian you don't know jesus But hearing these words, something is burning in your gut right now that says, I don't know where home is, but I have this feeling home must be where God is. You know one thing's for sure, where you are right now doesn't feel anything like home. You're lost. Your life's a mess. There's a process to all this. But even for you, the one thing that God wants to say to you is, you can come home today. You don't have to be an expert in the Bible before you come. You don't have to quit your bad habits before you come. You don't have to go back on Monday and clean up your act so that next Sunday you can come and make that decision. Now, when you come, he's the one who will clean you up. Can you imagine how this young man returns smelling of pig filth. And the father says, bring me the best robe. Bring that ring, the symbol of sonship again. And what does this young man say? He says what we're saying in our hearts when we're far away. I am not worthy to be called your son. And the father looks at him and says, well, that doesn't matter. You're not my son because you feel worthy to be called my son. You're my son because I decided to call you my son. That's the only thing that we need. You don't have to feel worthy to belong to Him. You belong to Him because He says so. And that is good news worth celebrating. And wherever you are this this very morning, you can come home. Listen, this morning I sense that, that we're not supposed to have you stand up and make a public spectacle and all that. Sometimes that's needed. Sometimes we feel very prompted to do that. But this morning I feel like there's some things that God wants to do very quietly and powerfully in your life. And so I'm going to invite you to do something right now. Let's bow our heads. praise Him. would you just start slowly coming up here? You know, maybe you pitched your tent in the backyard of Daddy's house. You can still see it, smell it, hear it, but it's still not home. Anywhere outside is not home. And Christian, if you've drifted, You need to come home today. Yes, I know your hands are dirty. I know your heart is filthy. And you wish you could forget the things you've seen and done. But God declares this morning amnesty for you. His son, just like that song, taught us today. His son paid the price and bore the cost. And so, without any gearing up, you can come home right now. It's that simple. You just have to choose to turn your life around and start walking back where you belong. And you will find that Father God will come running to you and meet you along the way. If that's you, and I'm going to invite you to seriously pray God it ends today this journey to a far country and today I'm pointing my shoes in the other direction and I'm walking home let's spend a minute in quiet just praying if that's you if you know someone who's like that pray and cry out to God that in that far country they would hear their father's voice beckoning Let's pray. You can keep praying. If that's where you are right now, just keep praying. But I want to also invite others. Maybe, even though you grew up around Christian people and in the church, it occurs to you today that you've never ever settled this business with God and said to Him, You are my God, my Savior, I belong to you. I'm a sinner. I have no right to be in this house. But that house, that home, is where I want to be. Going to church didn't make you a Christian, but coming home will. And if this is the first day where you feel prompted in your heart to come home, would you just say this simple prayer God, I don't know you, but I sense that you are where home is for me, and I desperately want to come home. Help me find my way there. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you bought my ticket through the front doors of that household. So forgive me and take me in. And I'm going to invite you, if that's where you are right now, to pray that in your own words and desperately ask God to bring you home. And as we pray that, and we're going to be praying for you too, and as you pray that, if you've made that prayer, I'm going to simply ask you at some point this week, That you will get in touch with one of the pastors at this church and let us know so we can celebrate with you and help you take your next steps on that journey home. Let's pray together. If you pray that prayer this morning, I cannot stress enough how important it is that you tell somebody that you don't try to make that journey back all by yourself, for God has given us one another. That's such an important part of His plan for us. So would you please tell us if you made that prayer, and we would joyfully share the journey home with you. If you need to keep praying, by all means, you should sit and pray. But if you're ready to do so, I would invite you to look up And we will sing this last song together. It's a wonderful way of singing this invitation. Let's sing together. Father God, thank you for being a father to us. Thank you this morning for a reminder that home is not a place. Home is where you are. Lord, some of us need to run home. Some of us this morning did do exactly that. So God, I pray that it would not just be an empty invitation, but as these brothers and sisters have taken their first steps in coming home, run like you did in this great story and meet them as they're coming. And don't let them finish that trip alone, but give them the gift of your Holy Spirit and of your church so that together they can finish what they began. And I thank you so much that there is a home to run to. How pitiful we would be if you had not made a home for us. And where would we be? And where would we go? So we thank you for what Jesus did on Friday and especially today. Thank you that because of him, we can come home. And we praise you as all heaven rejoices even now for those lost children who came home this morning. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his holy face shine upon you and yet be gracious to you. May he turn his face of friendship towards you And give you peace that lasts, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God, be blessed. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments,
1: check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.